do this. If you brought your Bible, everyone has your Bible, right? You can scroll or you can turn your page to Genesis chapter 25, verse 19. Did anybody get blessed in worship today? I think that almost sounds self-serving for me to say that. But what I, I don't mean, did you get blessed by like the sound or my voice or the songs we chose? That's not what I'm talking about. Um, what I'm talking about is those moments that we get into and it becomes real between us and God. And we know that we're not here just listening to sound or singing songs. We're encountering the creator of heaven and earth. And I just have to tell you guys, a lot of times you guys are you're so gracious and you say, oh, that was so good. That was so good. And I always say, yes, it was. I don't mean, yes, I did a good job. I mean, I come up here now because of the collective group of hearts that are in this place, and I enjoy, and it gets me emotional. It's, the, it's so powerful. I get to enjoy with you guys the goodness of God in his presence. And that's what New Promise is all about. It's about encountering Jesus for yourself and getting the word of the Lord for your life. Let's pray before I start. So, Father, once again, we just say thank you, Lord. Lord, we just stand humbly before you in your presence, God. Thank you, Lord, that you pushed our shame to the wayside, God, and our sin met you head on. On the cross, Lord, the power of your love and your blood. Thank you, Jesus, Lord. Let this word today come alive in our hearts and changes. Help me, God, to, to articulate your word, Lord, and not get in the way too much in Jesus' name. Okay. I mean, I preached my sermon in worship this morning, but I'm going to do it again. When Jesus bought your life, he rewrote your history, gave you a new name, a new identity, and a new destiny. And you can never remind yourself of that enough. So if you're here today and you've given your heart to the Lord recently, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You'll never be the same. You can't. Everything is changed in you down to the cellular level. Everything you do is new. You're a new creation. Before that, you were on the path of darkness under the power of Satan. Jesus took you from your trajectory towards hell. And you Google Maps and he rerouted you <laughs> to glorious places by nothing that you did. Thank you, Lord, not of our own works that we could boast. And how many of you guys know that life is filled with so many gifts, even if you're not a believer, just to be on the earth, to be a human being, especially if you live in, in a great country like we do. Wow, to be able to work and enjoy relationships. And why does food taste so good? God didn't have to do that. He's so good to all of us. It says, the Lord says, it, it, the sun shines on the, the righteous and the unrighteous alike. He's so kind. <clears throat> there's, there's something greater, though, than enjoying those, those just things that are so good from God, and that is actually being in communion with Jesus, with the creator of heaven and earth. And knowing that he's speaking to you about your life will change your life forever. 
And some of you may be thinking, you know, is it really that life-changing? Is it really that glorious? And to you, I would say, do you really have faith like a child? Because that's what it takes. We have to receive the kingdom like a child. And the more that you will refuse to become cynical and jaded and, oh, I've seen this and, oh, I've, this, I've watched this play out before, the more you, your heart and your soul and spirit will get wrapped up in God's story, his story for your life. And some of us know people like that. And we're like, how do they get so excited about the littlest things? Like, I mean, yeah. You know, like your back was hurting and it got healed. That's awesome. But I want to see like an arm grow out. You know what I mean? I want to see. Right. But that's the wrong attitude. No. I do want to see the arm grow out. But I want my spirit and my soul to be so one with the father that I'm so thankful, just like Jesus was when he broke the bread for the 5,000. And that's when the multiplication began to happen. Thankfulness leads to multiplication. Okay. The enemy's a prowling lion. He wants to kill you. He hates you. We know that. Let's skip that part. (laughs) He can't kill you, so he wants to derail you. He wants to get you to sell your birthright, okay? So this whole thing is about your birthright. You're God-given. You are a son. You are a daughter. You've been given a birthright that cannot be taken from you, but the enemy is going to try to derail you. He's going to try to get it from you. Genesis chapter 25, 19. I'm going to read a lot of scripture like I always try to do. Now, these are the words of the generations of Isaac. NASB, right? Okay. Um, Abraham's son, Abraham's son. Abraham became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, and the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. And the Lord answered him, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is so, then why, why then am I this way? So she went to inquire of the Lord. Key phrase, we love the inquiry. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two people shall be separated from your body, and one people shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled. Behold, there were twins in her room. So the word of the Lord came to pass. Now the first came forth red, all over like a hairy garment, and they named him Esau. And afterwards his brother came forth with his hand holding on Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was six years old when she gave birth to them. When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a peaceful man living in the tents. Now Isaac loved Esau... Dad loved Esau, the hunter, because he had a taste for game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And when Jacob had cooked stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was famished. And Esau said to Jacob, please let me have a swallow of that red stuff there, for I am famished. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, first sell me your birthright. And Esau said, behold, I am about to die. So of what use then is the birthright to me? And Jacob said, first swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew. That doesn't sound that appetizing to me. And he ate and drank and rose and went on his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Okay. Not cool. 
Okay, so a little bit of background. The birthright um, was, was based on the birth order. So there's a blessing and there's a birthright. The birthright belongs to the firstborn son. It doesn't have anything to do with the blessing. So the father could bless, Isaac could bless Esau, but once that, birth, that birthright is set, you know, that's a big deal. And, and Jacob obviously knew that. Um, it's a little bit unusual. No, I'm sorry. The, so, so the law did call, just so you know. The law called for the firstborn son to receive a double portion of the father's blessing. That's what the birthright was. It was the double portion blessing from the father. And the father could not alter it. Okay, typically whoever brought home food, I'm going to give you guys a little history here. Whoever brought home the food in the household was the hero of the household, right? So oldest son, he brought home the food. He was the manly man. It makes sense. He would have been um, God's, you would think he would have been God's choice, but he wasn't. Okay, so what we're going to do, we're going to look at these different, different responses here. This is obviously a pretty serious word from the Lord. There are two nations in your womb. The younger will rule over the older. Right? So mom might have let that word out in the household, you know, as they were growing up. Um, I, I would imagine that, you know, Esau being a skillful hunter, he's out in the field. I can relate to Esau. I like to strap on the backpack. My friends can attest to this. Hike out in the mountains, maybe find a stream get out there in the wild, spend some time with God, let him speak to me, quiet the noise. Men, take a hint. If you're not making time to do this, you should be. Get out and push yourself physically in the wild, in nature. Turn off the phone. Quiet your heart before the Lord. It's like a supercharging for your soul and your spirit. You, you will reap the rewards of doing that and letting God speak to you. Do it. Okay. So I think Esau probably knew this word that his brother would be stronger than him and, and would rule over him. And if you have a wrong view of God in your heart about that, you could respond poorly to that word. I don't believe that um, Esau sold his birthright and despised his birthright on a whim. I think part of it was immaturity. I imagine he was about a teenager when he came in from a long day of hunting. Oh, so hungry, I'm famished, I'm going to die. He even said he was going to die. He wasn't going to die. Obviously, he wasn't going to die. But there was something in his heart. There was some compromise. There was some lack of vision in his heart already that he had come to a point that he so easily just, oh, just whatever. I, you know, I'll just, do you take it? Give me the stew. We'll call it good. Clear vision restrains us. That's why we say keep your eye on the prize. Okay, so um, how do we keep our eye on the prize? This is like, my, I'm going to give you guys a little very practical tip here. Come to church. That's how you keep your eye on the prize. Get around people. Here's the thing. You can know the truth in your head. I know lots of people that know the truth in their head. But unless it gets to your heart, it doesn't affect the way that you act. So truth in your head is not that much good. But when you come, gather together, not forsaking the gathering together of yourself, you're reminded of who God is. Just like what happened in worship. Oh, yeah, come on, my soul. That's who God is. This is who I am. It's that reminder that stirs you up. It's so important. The iron really does sharpen the iron. When you have a clear vision, you're not going to be, um, you're not going to be able to be prey to the enemy and selling your birthright. It's no, 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 no. Don't even try, Satan. It was like when, when Satan came to Jesus and he tried to tempt him. It was like, 
you're barking up the wrong tree. You just, you're not going to get anywhere with me. I'm surrounding myself with believers that know truth and that speak truth. I'm in my word daily. I'm listening to people that are speaking truth to me. Amen? Esau was not doing that. There was something going on. He was lacking vision. It was causing him to, to cast off restraint. I'm going to serve Jacob? He's got, his hands are so soft. He's always at home. God, he's never even killed a gazelle. I'm always the one bringing home the food, right? He's casting off restraint. He has no vision for his own life. When you know that you have a specific destiny for your life, you will act different. You will be laser focused. Amen. The joy, joy is the reward of delighting yourself in the Lord. Depression and despair are the reward of casting off restraint. You cast off restraint, you begin to lose your vision. You're going to be inundated with fear, despair, depression, hopelessness. Okay, let's move to Jacob's response. I believe Jacob had a much different response to the word. Obviously, he did. Um, And I would imagine that Jacob didn't just come up with this idea to deceive his brother. I think also he had that word. He had something in his mind, something that was telling him, I need to make this happen in my own strength. Jacob was building his own kingdom through self-promotion. It's different. It's not apathetic. It's controlling. It's manipulative. Jacob knows the word of the Lord, but rather than let God bring him forth in his perfect timing, he begins to scheme and plot. Have you ever done that before? You know what you want. You think you know what God wants, and so you, you do some scheming and some plotting. Yeah. If you're scheming and you're plotting, you're probably in the wrong. Just, don't, just so you know. Perhaps Jacob was also believing a lie from the enemy. Maybe it was insecurity, you know. I'm going to rule over Esau, the hairy hunter man. I have such soft hands. I've never even killed a gazelle. One time I saw him crush a rock with his bare hands. I better help God out. That's that, that's that thing that comes up in us. It wants to control, right? That's that manipulative spirit that we can get into. And here's the downside to doing that. Um, you're going to burn out. If you're starting to do these things in your own strength to build your own kingdom, um, to make it happen for yourself, you got to keep that going. One pastor said, whatever, whatever you start in your own life, in your own strength, you're going to have to keep it going. But whatever the Lord starts, he will keep it going for you. So, I don't, I don't, I'm obviously reading way into this, but there's, there was something there. You know, maybe it was disappointment or insecurity or something was causing Jacob to act in that. And he was starting to scheme and plot and he was starting, and you see this pattern of his life, even though he was, he was the chosen one by God. He, he started creating anxiety for himself. He started getting himself into these, you know, oh, the tangled webs we weave. You know, and it's like, oh, my gosh. And then once you're in it, it's like hard to get out of it. And next thing you know, he's, like, he's pulling his mom into this thing to try to trick the dad so he can get the blessing. It's all this work. And, and then later he has trouble. Uncle Laban, you know, does him dirty with the sheep and all that stuff. And he's, he's fearful of, 
uh, when he meets Esau again, you know, he's worried that he's going to kill him. And that's, that's what that breeds. That's the reward of doing that. So stop if you're doing that. We need to stop if we're doing that. That's not what the Lord has for us. Yeah, that, that fear, I mean, the enemy will get you so bound up in fear if you open that door and you don't close it. Self-promotion and building your own kingdom will only delay the plan God has for your life. Okay. And lastly, we're going to look at Rebecca's response. So Rebecca initially had, she had the right response. She inquired of the Lord. Remember I said we love that, that inquiry. David was a man after God's own heart. Despite all his sins and flaws and mistakes, he was continually inquiring of the Lord. Inquiring in the temple. Inquiring in his own house. Inquiring on the battlefield. Lord, I know what you're calling me to do. You're calling me, you know, to obey your word and keep your commandments. You know, this is David. But what are you telling me to do now? What's the living word of God for my life? There's something about that that makes us a people after God's own heart. We're not content just for the rules, the law. We want that and we want to build on that and we want to have relationship. I know um, you don't have to do that. And I know believers that don't do that. And they just want to say, I, I'm saved and I do my good deeds. And, you know, this is the path that I'm on. And, and they're right. That's what you want to do. God bless you. That's what you want to do. But the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. That's what it says in Psalms. And there's something about a softness of heart and a willingness of heart to say, I, I will allow myself to die more in order to have a greater reward in this life. And I would love to just go by the book and do the basics and just say I lived a good life and I know God's pleased with me and I'm getting to heaven and I do love the Lord. But there's something in me that won't let me be okay with that. And I am a very flawed human being. I stand before you today. I cry when I sing about the grace of God and the blood because it's really real to me how good he is and how kind he is and what he's done in my life. But I won't let go of the promise that when he says in Revelation 3, 14, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. He wants the, okay. We're like, oh, Jesus is so nice. He's knocking on the door of unbelievers' hearts. And, you know, they're not even listening. They don't even know he's knocking. He's not knocking on the hearts of the doors of unbelievers. Maybe he is the doors of the hearts of unbelievers. But this is written to the church in Laodicea. He's knocking on your heart. And he's saying, why aren't you letting me in that I would sit with you and dine with you and feed you with my own hand? There's a difference. You see the difference? You don't have to answer the knock. But when you don't, you're wretched, poor, naked, and ashamed. So what's the deal? I mean, there's a lot to it. I don't think that he's called us to that. I mean, I thought when we got saved, we're, you know, we get the robe and the ring and the crown upon our head and everything. But then it says if we don't answer the door when he's knocking, we're naked and ashamed and wretched. And so I guess I'm not really making a statement 
absolutely on this, but I am asking the question like, Lord, one, I want to I answer the door. When you're knocking on the door of my heart, Lord, please. Two things can be true at once, you know. We can, we can be the beloved, but we can still be naked and ashamed and not know it. I mean, it says, you think you're rich, but you're poor, right? Come to me and buy gold. So, um, and it's interesting that he also says right on the end there, those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline. So, okay, that's kind of a heavy one, but I... I just want to receive it. I just want to. I just like, look, I don't know exactly what the discipline of the Lord is, but I know that the word says if um, you don't receive discipline, you are what? It's not good. You're an illegitimate son. Okay, so I'm going to say, Lord, whatever is happening in my life, um, you know, that's challenging for me, thank you. Because I know that you discipline those that you love. And I'm just going to say it's discipline and reproving of my heart because you love me and you want me to grow in you and to open the door and sit down with you. So, Lord, we just say, God, soften our hearts to answer the door, the knock on our heart. Lord, we want more, God. We don't want to just settle for the easy road, Lord. Bring life, God, in Jesus' name. Okay, I'm going to wrap up, but I do want to encourage you guys. I feel like there's some of us today that have that lacking vision thing on us. And whatever the reason it is, the Lord has a vision for your life. I don't want you to stand up. We can all stand up. We'll all stand up. This doesn't mean that you're like Esau. It just means that you have a soft heart, see? And I also feel like there's some of you like Jacob, that you're acting in your own strength and you've got stuff under the surface that hasn't been dealt with that's dictating how you act and you're getting burned out and you're getting, you're treating people differently and you're treating yourself differently. And the Lord wants to break that off of both people, whatever you're operating in, lack of vision, lack of restraint and um, operating out of your own strength, you know. There's a pace and a rhythm that the Lord has for us. It's not, it's not easy, but it's simple. It's not easy to do day in and day out because we do have an adversary. But Psalm 37.3 is such a good reminder. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land, cultivate faithfulness. Here we go. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And that cultivating faithfulness, I believe that, you know, David could have been just talking about cultivating our heart. Day in and day out. Lord, what's in my heart? Search me and know me. Is there any hidden way in me, God? We all want to be blameless before the Lord. In in the things that we say and do and the way that we feel about people. So Lord, we just say we cultivate our heart right now before you, God. Speak to us. Lord, if if we've lacked vision because we've refuse to listen to you or hear your voice God we just invite you to speak to us show us your heart Lord we long for you Jesus we long to know your plan and your purpose for us Lord and if we've acted in our own strength building our own kingdom and self-promotion that leads to destruction God forgive us 
Let our hearts be pure before you, Lord. We want to be, we want to inquire, Lord, the way that Rebecca inquired of your heart. We want to be a people that operate at the pace of heaven, God, in rest, living a lifestyle of rest. Lord, so we just welcome, we welcome, Holy Spirit, your conviction this morning, God. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.